Hello, hello, hello. Welcome again to another episode of Lockheed Talks. This is your host, Thomas Belcher, missionary to the U.S. Territory of Guam. And as always, it is great to be here with you guys today, especially on Word Wednesday, as we look into the Bible and continue our study of the book of Romans. And once again, also happy Thanksgiving with Thanksgiving coming up this week. Uh, Hope you guys have a wonderful time with friends and family and be thankful for all that the Lord has given you and all that the Lord continues to give you and for for said friends and family and especially for all the food. Amen. The food is the best part. (laughs) Just kidding. But uh, I love the food. I love Thanksgiving time together with all of our friends and family and what we do. We will be traveling up to Michigan to be with my wife's family for Thanksgiving this year. So that's going to be fun. We're excited to get together with them again. And we're excited to see uh, to see them and to have Thanksgiving dinner with them there up in Michigan. So we'll go ahead and begin with Romans chapter 9, our Bible study for this week. Romans chapter 9. We have divided Romans chapter 9 into four different parts. Four different parts. And the first part is number one, Paul's burden for the nation of Israel. Paul's burden for the nation of Israel, verses 1 through 13. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not my conscience, also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants, and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Whose are the, whose are the fathers, and of whom as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all. God blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Uh, Here we see Paul's burden for the children of Israel, the fact that Israel, the chosen nation of God, the chosen people of God, they they have always been the chosen nation of God ever since the Abrahamic covenant. And he's got a great burden for the children of Israel because the God, yes, we as the Gentiles, when we're saved, we're counted as children of God. Excuse me. We are children. Uh, we are counted as the children of God. But God sent His Son Jesus Christ. Who did He send Him to specifically? It was not to Greece. It was not to the Gentile world. Not just to the Gentile world, uh, but Israel had a specific, a specific privilege in having the Son of God, the Savior of mankind, come to them first. Jesus went to Israel first. Israel has had a covenant with the Lord ever since the book of Genesis, ever since Abraham, talking about the Abrahamic covenant. And Paul is seeing this. Paul is seeing the fact that uh, the Gentiles are getting saved, but Israel has rejected Christ. Israel had Christ come in, and they've had such a long history with God. Uh, They've had such a long privilege of serving the Lord 
But when the Son of Man, when the Son of Man, when the Son of God came, uh, they they crucified him. They spat on him. They refused to listen to what he had to say. And so because of that, the word of God had to go out to the Gentile world and the Gentiles started getting saved. And that was really Paul's ministry was the preaching the word of the Lord and seeing Gentiles saved. That was his ministry. But Paul's heart, his burden was for the children of Israel. He wanted to see the children of Israel come back to God and get back to the very God that led them out of the of the land of Egypt that gave them an inheritance that promised them the nation of Israel. And he has a very strong burden for that. So in verses one through 13, we see Paul's burden for the nation of Israel. Number two, verses 14 through 29, we see God's mercy, God's mercy. Verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on him, on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, and whom he, will he hardeneth. Uh, my apologies. And thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the, over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And that he uh, might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he saith also in Ossie, I will call them my people, which are not my people, and, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of, it, of the living God. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodoma and been like unto Gomorrah. Now I do apologize, I was mistaken earlier, we're only going to have three points for this chapter today, I do apologize, I was looking at some notes from a few weeks before, but three parts today, and right here, Paul is explaining to us God's mercy. Uh, we see that God puts mercy, uh, puts mercy on whom he will. Uh, we see in, in verses, in verses, uh, in verse 17, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. In other words, God gets to choose what he does. He's not beholden to our will. He's beholden to his will. He gets to do what he wants. Uh, that is a principle that we as Christians need to remember every day. And that is God is not some vending machine. God is not some butler that takes orders from us. We take orders from him. And we may pray to him and ask for a certain thing, um, but if he doesn't want that certain thing or that cer or uh, to say yes or that prayer to be answered in the way that we wish it, 
it's not going to happen the way we want it to. But here, I want to look at very quickly verse 17. Verse 17, For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Uh, we're seeing something here that Paul is pointing out. Um, he's talking about Pharaoh, and what the Lord tells him, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. You realize right then and there, that answers the age-old question, that answers the question of why are we here in the first place? Why is mankind on earth? Uh, many people out in the world, many humanists, many atheists, they will struggle to find that question as to what's the purpose of life? Why am I really here? They'll struggle to find that, but they'll never find that true answer because they've removed the most critical part to that, the most critical part of that answer, and that is God. The only way to find your true purpose in life is with God, is through his holy word. And that is the fact that we are all here to bring honor and glory to God. Uh, uh, verse 17, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. God wants the glory. God raised Pharaoh up here so that Pharaoh could, sh uh, could show the rest of the world who was in charge, and it wasn't Pharaoh. Uh, in the Old Testament, when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Israel, you know why Pharaoh kept uh, kept making mistakes. I, I he kept his heart kept getting hardened. But guess what? God used that and showed the rest of the world who was really in charge. Because at the end of the day, Pharaoh ended up having to uh, having to bend the knee to the will of God. Pharaoh had to Pharaoh had to accept the fact that there was somebody above him, and the rest of the world got to see that God. It was still on the throne that God was in charge, that God got all the glory, that God is the one that created everything. The rest of the world had to see that. And, you know, God cre uh, God uses the, both the good and the bad to bring glory to him. Uh, we uh, we complain about our leaders in office here in America and across the world. We complain about leaders. Well, let me tell you what, God can use that leader to show the world that he's in charge. During the whole COVID pandemic, uh, you had two different presidents that were trying different ways to try and co uh, combat the pandemic. And you can say all you want about their tactics. Uh, I don't believe they did uh, very smart things. I think they were very dumb in a few of the things that they did. Uh, but they tried everything. They tried everything under the sun. Put your masks on. Get vaccinated. They tried everything that they possibly could. And they tried what they could to fight it. But at the end of the day, the fact is that that pandemic was brought on. Uh, God was in control of that pandemic the entire time. I don't know why it showed up, but God had a will for it. And I believe that God wanted us to see that it doesn't matter about what kind of position we think we get ourselves in. He's still in control. No one on this earth was in control when that pandemic started or when it when it was going. No one knew what was going to happen. We were all trying to run around like chickens with our heads cut off. But let me tell you what, God knew exactly what was going to happen. And I believe that was a humbling moment that God had put us through to make us remember that God is still on the throne and that God is still in charge. 
God makes and uses each of us for his glory. He makes and uses each of us for that, and he makes and uses every circumstance for his glory. Uh, we may make bad decisions. We make. Uh, there are some evil people out in the world today that make bad decisions. But let me tell you what, God can still use those decisions that they made to bring honor and glory to him. God didn't make them do anything evil. God doesn't make us do evil. We choose. We have free will. But God can still make the results of our decisions bring honor and glory to him. Look with me real quick, if you're able to, in verse 25 through verse 29. Verse 25 through verse 29. As he saith also in Aussie, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said, uh, said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodoma and been made like unto Gomorrah. God made a group of people to show his glory. Uh, in the Old Testament, it was the children of Israel. Uh, God wanted the children of Israel to show the rest of the world his glory and who was actually in charge, that it was not the uh, the God of the Philistines. It was not the gods of Egypt that were in charge, but it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob that was truly in charge. He is the creator. He is in full control, and he is in control of every little event, every little thing that happens here on this earth. That's what he wanted the children of Israel to do. But if you notice, if you study through the Old Testament, you'll see that the children of Israel did something that the, that the Christian has done today, that we Christians have done today. Sometimes the children of Israel would let the idea of them being the children of God get to their heads, and they start thinking themselves to be holier than everybody else, and they stop telling the world and proclaiming the world about the glory of the Lord. Um, that's kind of how we as Christians can act sometimes. We think ourselves to be saved and think our, ourselves to be so righteous because we are saved and because we are children of the King that we kind of forget that we're supposed to be telling other people about him, that we're supposed to be proclaiming the glory of the Lord everywhere we go all across the world. We kind of grow content with just being saved, and we lose the purpose of the fact that we are supposed to be telling people about him. God has always had a group of people out there that will proclaim his name. He always has. Uh, mankind has tried to get rid of them. How many times were the Israelites nearly pushed to the brink of extinction? How many times have Christians been put under persecution, murdered, slaughtered, and all kinds of different things? How many times has that happened? But God has always had, he's always had a group of people set aside to worship him and to show the world his glory. I don't know about you, but that's one of the greatest privileges that I think we could possibly ever get. It's a privilege to be saved. We don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve God's salvation. But 
God didn't just want us to be saved and do nothing with it. God wants us to proclaim his glory to everybody, to tell somebody else about him, and to get the word out that, hey, there's a God in heaven that sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross of Calvary for you and me. And that only through him, not through any other God, not through the God of... Uh, not through the God of the Muslims, not through the God of of the Buddhists, not through the gods of, of the Hindus, huh. and not through Mary of the Catholic. You, you get saved, and you get a home in heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ and through accepting him as your personal Savior. That's the only way to heaven. And we as Christian, if you are listening today and you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are called to tell other people about the glory of God. Go ye into all the world, Matthew 20 and 19. Go ye into all the world. Go ye. He's talking to the Christian there. He's talking well in the context of that scripture. They're talking about the disciples. What were what were the disciples? The disciples were Christians. He's saying, "Get the word out. Go glorify my name." And that's what we ought to be doing as children of the Lord. Number three. Number three, verse thirty through thirty-three. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which follow not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained the law to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Here we come to the conclusion of verse 9, and it kind of ties back to the first point, and that is Paul's burden for Israel. He more so explains why he has a, such a burden for Israel. He talks first in verse thirty that the Gentiles they didn't follow, which they didn't follow after righteousness, but attained righteousness. They attained that because of faith, faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ. That's how they attain righteousness. And then in verse 31, he compares it to the children of Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, which you would think would lead to righteousness, but the latter end of that verse hath not attained to the law of righteousness. In other words, they followed the law of righteousness. They followed the law of Moses, and where to get them? It didn't lead them to righteousness. It didn't lead them to heaven. The only way to heaven has always been through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Where, uh, verse 32, wherefore, because they sought it not by faith. They didn't have faith in it. They were just running, uh, doing the, the traditions. But as it were by the works of the law, they did the sacrifices, they did the praying, but they weren't doing it in faith. Or they stumbled at the stumbling stone. God intended all of the book of the law, all that stuff to be practiced in actual faith. With an actual heart for him. But the children of Israel finally got to a point where they were no longer doing it. They no longer had the right heart. They no longer had faith in it. They were just doing it out of tradition. That's who they were. They weren't doing it out of faith anymore. So when Jesus Christ came along, he died on the cross of Calvary, and Paul comes along, and he starts telling the rest of the world about him. The Gentiles believe, but the children of Israel don't. And they are, they are God's chosen people. 
and they rejected Christ. They got caught up. They got they stumbled on the stumbling block that was the works of the law. They guess they stumbled on it. But then in verse 33, I love this part. Love this part. As it is written, behold I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him, on him shall not be ashamed. Hey, you thought the stumbling block of the law was a big one. Now, nah, Paul's got one bigger. And that is, hey, the law is fulfilled. You don't have to follow the law anymore. You, the true way to righteousness is through faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's done. You don't have to do sacrifices anymore. You don't have to follow the law of Moses anymore. You don't have to do that. Just believe in Jesus Christ. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You believe in Christ, you won't be ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed I believe in Christ. I've been spat on, mocked, all kinds of different things by telling other people I'm a Christian. I've never been persecuted. Never been persecuted. Not like some of these other people. Not, not like some of these brave heroes across the world. I don't know what that's like. But I can imagine that they're not ashamed of Christ either. They're not ashamed to say, I'm a Christian. There was a feline, I never got to know him. But here a couple weeks ago, he was a missionary to a very, very hard field. A field where they persecuted Christians. And He went over there and spent many years there and preached Christ, told the people there about what God had done for them, saw people saved. He was a missionary. Not long ago, he laid down his life on that field. He met persecution, and they persecuted him. And a few people, they killed him. I never got to know the man, never met him, but I can guarantee you that in those final moments when he knew he was leaving this earth, I can guarantee you he was not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I can guarantee you he was not ashamed to lay down his life for Christ. He wasn't ashamed. We've got too many Christians who are acting ashamed today of the name of Christ. Look at all the stuff that people are flaunting throughout the streets. They're saying killing your child in the womb is health care. It's, it's a right. Last I checked, murder is not a right. The debauchery of homosexuality is being praised to the point that we have our own Pride Month. Debauchery, just sin, disgusting. And they will shout and march through the streets and yell. And if you watch some of these people on the news, they have conviction about it. They are convicted about it. They're not ashamed to proclaim their sin. Why are we Christians ashamed to proclaim the name of Christ? 
why has the Christian grown silent? What's happened? We need to get back to being a stumbling block for the devil. That's what we ought to be as as Christians. We ought to be a stumbling block for sin. Sin ought not to meet absolutely zero resistance when it gets proclaimed. It ought to meet some resistance. There ought to be a Christian that gets up and says, no, that is sin, it is wrong, and here's what the Bible says about it. There ought to be some Christians out there. We ought to stand up and proclaim the glory of the Lord. We see here Paul's burden. We see here Paul's burden and the stumbling stone that Israel had stumbled on. And we see that Paul Paul is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And it is because of that that when he was martyred, he wasn't ashamed of that then either. He was ready to go. Many Christians... I would I would ask every single one of us here today, and I mean this question for myself included, are we ready to go? Are we ready to close? I'm not talking about the rapture. Are we ready right now to close our eyes and open them in eternity? Are we ready to say that I was not ashamed to say that I was a Christian? Time, it is time, and we as Christians have a burden for our people, for the world. Get out to proclaim God's name to the world and be a stumbling block to sin. Thank you again for joining us today for another episode of Lottie Talks. Um, Just powerful. The book of Romans is a powerful book, and I'm excited to continue to go over this and to continue to see what God has for us in this book. Uh, Please pray for my family and I as we go to uh, traveling throughout the week. Uh, We pray that you have a good Thanksgiving and get out there, tell someone about God. And if there's anyone in your family, if you're having a chance, if they're not saved and you're meeting up with them this week and, and you have the opportunity, in fact, go make the opportunity to go witness to them, get them saved. Pray about it. Pray that the Lord fill you with His Spirit, with your power, with His power. And also, if we were a blessing to you today here at Lottie Talks, uh, we pray that you'll share this on social media. Uh, many more people have been listening. Many more people have been coming in. Many more people. Uh, many more people have been listening to us and spreading the word. Uh, we pray that. You continue this. We ask that you continue this and continue to tell other people about what God has been doing. Share this across all your social media platforms. And uh, we thank you once again. Thank you for your prayers as well. My cough has been uh, lighting up here in the past couple of days. Fantastic to see that. Preaching is still a little difficult sometimes. But I pray that the Lord will take this away from me and... uh, take away this congestion and these allergies. So thank you once again. God bless you all and have a great day.